Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Happy Thursday morning, boss man. Ooh, this is the earliest I think we've ever recorded. We look like we woke up just, if we don't make any sense this episode, it's because we were up till midnight and now we're up first thing in the morning to bring you the tropical NBA pod. Normally we record this in the afternoon. Yeah, this is difficult. I can listen in the morning. What did I you say? You said you're a 20 year old on a 40 year old's body? We're working at a 20 year old's pace. And yeah. we're in our 40s. So yeah. therein lies the problem. This episode is based on your emails. We love them. Our email addresses are dan and ian at tropicalmba.com. But here's the thing about that. Don't send us bad emails. Send us good ones. What's a good email? A good email is like today's email. It's one that makes you think. It's one that's genuine. It's one that's thought-provoking. Often we respond to these emails because they're genuinely interesting. Don't pitch us your stuff. Don't ask us to do work. Just This is not work. This podcast is not work. Thinking about these amazing entrepreneurial conundrums is why we wake up early in the morning to do the podcast. So we appreciate them. You ready to jump into it, Ian? Let's do it. Listener writes, Dan, thank you for everything boss man and you do. Binge listening to your current and older pod episodes after learning about you guys. We appreciate that. I want to put a pause on it. Boss man, if I want to go on a TMBA Hajj, a binge, what's one of your favorite episodes from the archive? Maybe I'll say one while you're thinking of yours. Sure. I got one here in the notes. Two of the ones that I think are really good if you want to do a binge listen, there's a really old one that I've been thinking about this concept and I want to like revamp it. So if you want to listen to it and send me an email about it, that'd be cool. It's called 1,000 True Fans, 100 True Customers, and 10 True Clients. At the end of the day, I think. The core of what we talk a lot about at the TMBA is sort of remote, native, internet, native business models, how to build a lifestyle business off of unique concepts to the internet. And I think 1,000 True Fans is one of those unique business models. And I've been thinking a lot about that as we've been doing product development the past few weeks. So that's a good one. And then another one I really like is called the Brenwall Code. That's a more recent one. And that's really about the core constitution of someone who built a highly, highly successful lifestyle business with a capital L. And if you want to know what I'm talking about, check out the Brenwall Code. You know, I had to go through the archives the other day, Dan, and because you're in charge of this, uh, I'm just going to flag it up. A little bit better search would be nice. Could you please put it in Asana? <laughs> yeah. A little bit better search would be nice for sure. Uh-huh. I'm finding myself having to search uh, the internet and Reddit before I search our own site, but I know that yeah. that's coming here in January. I'll give you my EA's email address. What's yeah. the issue? <laughs> One of them that sticks out in my mind is uh, the five approaches to getting rich. rich? This was uh, not too long ago, TNBA 499. Cool. Let's move on. My question is about legal issues of conflict of interest with my current employer, potential ramifications and legal action. I remember you had legal discussions in the past with cease and desist letters. Ooh, we got work- another one recently, by the way. Uh-huh. I'll just pop in here and share that We're just going to glaze over that issue. I'm working in a niche industry 
with a fully remote position. I'm reading in between the lines of readers' email. I've got a little bit of spare time here and there. I see a potential opportunity in developing training services in the industry. I would like to keep my job until I have the training course established and see if the industry does see this as a value add. I have not signed any non-competes, but my current company's conflict of interest policy is fairly boilerplate to include really any side job that deals with the industry. How would you go about it? Drop it and find something else? Just do it and see if they stop you? Disclose it to legal and wait for them to contact or potentially shut it down? Feel free to use this question on the pod, but please keep me anonymous. So thank you, Anon. Now, we love these kinds of emails, and we went back and forth with Anon, who seems to be like a really cool person. And one of the questions we asked Ian was the moral dimension. Because to me, that's the first place my mind goes, is like, the legalities are complicated. Let's put that on the shelf. But you don't want to do anything that hurts people. Because this is a lifestyle business. You got to live with that, right? Anything that involves embroiled, if it's not a steak, you don't want to do it, right? <laughs> so... Anon wrote back after I asked about the moral dimension, as he said, any training created would be basically about standard software used by competitors and clients, meaning I would not be using any company proprietary information or stealing any company practices to teach to others. The company is also not in the business of training people. This person works in the engineering field, and they're basically a firm that sells engineering time to clients. So... I would not be stealing any business from the current company since it's not, you know, one of their income streams. In my view, it is a net zero effect to my current employer. It would help all parties in the industry equally. So it's a nothing burger in terms of the moral dimension. So one final piece before we tee off on this amazing question. Thank you, Anand. We wrote an email out to our legal partner, Eric, from Revision Legal. Shout out Revision Legal, DCBKK sponsor, and also a law firm that just freaking gets internet businesses, he writes, my answer is really it's a question of seeking forgiveness or permission. And we know the uh, entrepreneurial, where the entrepreneurs tend to line on the forgiveness permission continuum. If you want to seek forgiveness, then here's my answer. Working in a niche is by far the best way to learn it inside and out, but you do it on someone else's terms. If those terms include non-competes, and conflict of interest policies, well, you have to live with those restrictions. The first question, of course, whether the plan truly violates the conflict of interest policy. Unless it is super clear either way, then you will get some shade of gray answer from an attorney, which isn't wrong, just the way it goes. At that point, you need to determine whether it is worth the risk. Most times, larger companies are not looking to sue someone before having a conversation. So there is a risk the idea is shut down before it is fully off the ground. There's a risk you get sued, but it's probably lower if you are willing to shut it down. But there's a chance everyone thinks it is a net positive and you'll all find some way to make it work. If that positive outcome is worth the risk of losing the time, energy, and money you put into the project that may get shut down, then go for it. If not, then don't. Does that sound like a lawyer to you? <laughs> that sounds like an entrepreneur. I love it. I love it. First and foremost, those guys are entrepreneurs. That's what's cool about that answer. Yeah, I think you're right, Dan, or at least in my mind about how to think about this. Like the moral dimension is like, should I be doing this in this context? We all have degrees of moral flexibility, right? So some of this is just going to like depend on your compass and what you're comfortable with. But I think 
you said exactly what I feel too, which is, is this hurting anybody? That's the first thing that I think about. Like, is this infringing on anybody? Is this hurting anybody? Is anybody going to be sad? Is anybody going to lose money? And the sad is on the lower end of the spectrum of my concern and the losing money is on the higher end of the spectrum. So like, to what degree are you hurting them if you are hurting them? And it sounds like you're from Anon that you may not be hurting them at all. Like, there is not a conflict of interest. The conflict of interest is uh, this policy that someone put into place. And I can tell as someone that has put policies like this in place and borrowed boilerplate contracts and (laughs) distributed them to people to sign, the intent a lot of times is just to cover your ass. It's not even necessarily to protect yourself. It's like, I know that we should have this contract in place. So I'm going to distribute it. People are going to sign it. And then one day if it comes up, we can talk about it. But the truth about legal in all dimensions, as far as I'm concerned, is it's very expensive to defend it. Like writing the document is the cheapest component of all this. To actually defend, uh, regulate is very expensive. So that's kind of my uh, 40,000 foot view. Now, that being said, I want to talk a little bit about like doing this or not doing this. And this seems like you have an opportunity to potentially accelerate your career and I've been in this situation before, Dan. You've been in this situation. This is such a core entrepreneurial situation. You're going to find yourself in it, and we're going to get to why. Can I just say something before you expound upon that? sure. When you were saying that, Ian, like the metaphor in my mind of the policy and the bureaucrat whose job it is to cover their ass and defend the policy is like your business idea is good stuff because it's based on like your industry knowledge and cash flow. It's a small little baby that needs nurturing, you know? And these bureaucrats, asking them for permission, bringing to them, this babe is vulnerable. They don't care about the babe. That's the last thing they care about. They care about covering asses and going the safe route. We're all very vulnerable to mall cops enforcing boilerplate policies around. And so that's just the metaphor to sort of set how I think about it when you lay out this problem. I've actually been on both sides of this. If you're in the entrepreneurial game long enough, you're going to be on both sides of this. So when we started, I was on one side of this. And then now that we're employers, I'm on the other side of it. So I'll speak real quick about like being on the employer side of it. Basically, someone sees an opportunity, they work for you, they go for it. They're kind of doing both things. And looking back, the productivity of the person on the team, on my team that was doing that, like after this came to light, it was immediately apparent that like that was happening. It was like, oh, this is around the time they started their business. It's like, what's going on with so-and-so? They must have some terrible health affliction that we right. need to guide them through. It right. turns out it was just your basic online salesmanship that was time consuming. Right. And it's actually happened a couple of times. And if you want to keep a relationship with your employer, if that's important to you, it really matters how you kind of handle this. Because in... One situation in particular, it went on for a long time. And here's the calculus that I do in my head. is like, well, I was paying you X amount of dollars. Your productivity dropped at least 50%. You weren't real with me about why it dropped. I had to make my own conclusions. And because I'm relatively nice about these things, like I thought it might be a health thing, or I thought maybe it was ambition, or I thought it was my fault that I wasn't giving you enough guidance, whatever it was, right? But then when I find out what it actually was, which is basically you were moonlighting and you had a second income and you're doing great. Now I start feeling a lot different about the situation, right? I start feeling mad. I start feeling regret. I start feeling angry in a lot of ways. 
And a lot of those feelings never went away for me. So take that for what it's worth. If you have to continue a relationship with this organization, they might be pissed off about it indefinitely to some degree. And you know what it is? It's like, that's a karmic thing. And what that comes back to is really the moral dimension. Like who cares about the efficacy or whatever? It's like, you got to live with that. But then, you know, sometimes you got to make clear breaks. You got to understand that, hey, there's three lawyers sitting in that office down there that if I take this vulnerable idea to them, they're going to say, no, I am not going to allow my life to be affected by a mall cop or whatever, you know, like these rules. That's what a lot of when we say risk and entrepreneurship, it's the emotional risk of owning this shit and not asking for permission. And it's the willingness to say, yeah, those people are going to disagree with this, but they don't get to define what I do with my life. I see value here. I'm not hurting my employer. I've learned a tremendous amount of things. Bam, I'm going to start this business. Now, let me dig into some details here. I'm not going to minimize the risk here. Yeah, you could get shut down. But I do want to say solidarity. Ian just mentioned like five times that he's been on all sides of this. This is often exactly the quote risk that we're talking about when normies out there say that entrepreneurship is risky. I don't think about like roller coaster financials when I think of entrepreneurship, honestly. I don't think about like, where's the next, how we're going to make payroll this month, like that kind of journey. Like, I think about this oh man, people don't want me to do this, or oh man, I'm going to have to step out on my own, or oh man, people don't approve. Bam, that's entrepreneurial risk. So take it off. Agree. So, our number one response to uh, sum it up is uh, this is often the risk that we're talking about that you need to break through in order to start showing things. That's why we saw this email and we we're like, whoa, that's it. That's what often you're thinking at the start of an entrepreneurial venture. Number two, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. What does it mean? It means that the number one predictor of the type and style and success even, I would even go so far to say success of the business you're going to start. Now, I'm not saying it's completely correlated. I'm saying it's the number one predictor. If I had to know one thing about you to know how good your business is going to be, I wouldn't say how old are you. I wouldn't say what your gender is. I wouldn't ask where you came from. None of this stuff. I would ask, what was your last job? That's what I want to know. That's going to be the number one predictor. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. You are learning by doing, being at this job. The knowledge that you're gaining through your behaviors is real knowledge. The number one way to learn how to be a great salesperson is not to read Chet Holmes's classic, The Ultimate Sales Machine, take notes, and then apply it in your business. The number one way to become the ultimate sales machine is to go work for an incredible sales manager is to go sell commodity products out there, is to knock on doors. That's the way to become a great salesperson. I want to reinforce this, Dan. I've been talking about this for years now, which is when I was younger, I could never understand why my peers worked in places that they didn't care about. So it's like you work at the movie theater. Mm -hmm. Like, well, why do you work at the movie theater? Do you want to be a director? Do you want to be an actor? Do you like movies? No, I just got to move this popcorn, man. Oh, what are you interested in? I'm interested in cycling. Why don't you work at the bike shop? And it's the same thing when you turn 20 and 30 and 40. Oh, you want to be an entrepreneur? You want to build physical products, but you're a salesperson in software? How does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Totally agree. The correlate to the idea of the apple not falling far from the tree is exactly what Ian's saying, which is like, if you can't parlay your career, if you can't, 
then knock it off. Unless you're making automated income two hours a day, then fine. If it's a cool hack, do it. But if you can't parlay your career, then don't, don't do it. I wrote down a quick list here. I literally did this in 30 seconds. It's like people that have worked on this team. David Hehenberger has a bunch of products. One of them is a SaaS app for remote teams. Flamengo is fantastic. Sean Ogle runs Location Rebel, an amazing place to learn how to make a remote income. Taylor Pearson runs a hedge fund. He's also an incredible operations coach. I've consulted him a lot for DC Scale. Jessica Malnick run a lot of innovations in our community. She runs a business called The Remote Work Tribe. Alistair Planbeck runs a great podcast called The Far Out Life. He does retreats. Ben Kruger used to be an intern, runs a company called Cashflow Podcasting. You seeing a theme here? The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. So go out and get employers that are going to give you the know-how. Punchline for Anon here is that this seems like a great way to grow your career. A lot of us have been there. I say take on the risk. The final thing is the parlay. Break it. Ask for forgiveness. Typically, you will fall forward. Think about all the things that could result here. What Eric's saying is you got to take on that risk. The risk, they shut it down. What happens if you shut it down? Okay, well, you got the cash flow. You got the experience. You got the systems. You move it to a new niche. You cut a deal with your former employer. Maybe they want to support you. Maybe now you're training their next group of employees. Maybe it's a business deal. You get past the mall cops and you go straight to the exec team or the founder. And you say, look, this is what I'm doing. I'm just like, you guys, here's how we can work together. Or you make us think about it on Twitter. David versus Goliath. There's all kinds of cool things that can happen when you take action. I'll tell you what happens when you don't take action, though. Jack squat. You live with your inaction. You live with regrets. You don't want regrets. I say go do it. And if you don't want to let it rip, then find a new job. What do you think, boss man? Sounds about right. I also want to point out that you shouldn't take our advice. Actually, we need to get some legal disclaimer. By the way, whenever somebody says, this is not financial advice, what they're about to say is exactly financial advice. There's so much nuance in this conversation, Dan. You know, we didn't even really talk about like how big the company is, you know. A lot of times in larger companies, people break out to be consultants for various different reasons. One of the reasons is that they can get paid more <laughs> mm. and resell their services back to their same company. So there's a ton of different nuances to this situation. But I think like if Anon can get unhung up from this little situation here, it'll be a good thing because this little situation is actually a big situation. Like this is the one of the easier hurdles that you're going to have to overcome in your career as an entrepreneur. It's just one of the first tests. So mm. if you're not willing to take a risk like this, it's probably not going to work out for you. As founders of remote companies, we all face hiring challenges like hiring today instead of next week or next quarter, scaling our teams quickly, and even just defining what we want in a candidate where to find them, how much to pay them, and how to recruit them. There's a lot of questions. Hiring's complicated, but it doesn't need to be with RemoteFirstRecruiting.com. It's a service from our team where we help founders like you solve these hiring hangups. Even if you're not hiring today, you gotta take advantage of our 15-minute free strategy call. It's with our senior recruiter, Greg Valentine. He's not a sales guy. He's a senior recruiter, industry expert, and he's helped place hundreds of remote candidates and companies just like yours. 
He can discuss with you the patterns we're seeing in the marketplace, share with you case studies, and talk about how you can build a rock-solid hiring strategy. Hiring doesn't need to be hard. Let our team do the heavy lifting. TMBA listeners, take advantage of this strategy call. It's a simple way to grow a better business. So head on over to our site, remotefirstrecruiting.com, where we believe hiring the right talent is the best way to grow a great remote business. Schedule a call with our team today at remotefirstrecruiting.com. Pulled out a quote from Tyler Tringus. He writes, contrary to the increasingly popular dunk, there's actually a huge deficit of people teaching, coaching, and helping others self-actualize relative to doers. We need much more of this. Ian, I've been reflecting on this issue because I talk a lot of crap about coaching on the show over the years. And I think it's going to be an ongoing thing as our new program, DC Scale, actually includes a lot of coaching. And we've gotten a lot of coaching this year. Maybe I'm turning a corner, but you know, one of the interesting things has got to eat a little crow on this point. No, it's not about eating crow, really. It's like it follows from the things that we've been saying. And I just wanted to give the update. Like we talked about DC scale last week. The demand or the interest in this product is enormous. And just trying to like conceptualize, what does it mean? And I think if what we've been saying on this show is true, that for every guru out there, for every podcast like this, there's 98 founders focused with their eye on the ball, like a non, working every day, doing things that are valuable. If that's true, then there's a big opportunity to help those 98 people. There's this great tweet I pulled down again. It's like 15 years ago, if you had the challenge, like go out and make half a million dollars a year or whatever, you'd be like, oh man, maybe I should uh, get into anesthesiology or, (laughs) you know, there's all these great careers out there that we all know about, you know, software sales, this kind of stuff. But it's like in 2023, it's like B2B service. I want to make half a million dollars a year, B2B service. That's essentially a big narrative that's happening underneath the show. You know, we're really looking for what that top level of service looks like for lifestyle entrepreneurs. I think Calm Fund has done it for Calm companies. Tiny Seed has done it for ambitious bootstrap SaaS companies. And I think we're really looking at like, well, what's that marketplace look like for ambitious lifestyle businesses? Do you agree that the best way to make half a million dollars a year in 2023 is to spin up ye old B2B service? Well, that's a hard question, Dan. If it's location independent, maybe. If it's not, I would be uh, putting Can in we plumbing not talk about, in Austin. We're going to talk about plumbers. I guarantee you there's nobody listening to this that wants to be a plumber. Maybe. Maybe start a plumbing agency. That's a big thing. Yeah, a plumbing referral service. Like, mm. look, Okay, now we're talking. Now I'm listening. The AI lords are coming as we've started to talk about on this podcast, anybody that's been messing around with uh, some of these new AI tools, okay? So a lot of us are going to be rendered useless, all right? But AI still cannot pull cable through your electrical box, and they cannot arrange that to be done either. Famous last words. I did have the concept in my mind, though, the other day. I was like, huh, I should maybe get some skills, like physical skills. I'm joking about this, Dan, but here's the deal. Most of the people listening to the show want some level of location independence, okay? So these like Mm -hmm. physical local jobs don't work. But if you have a cousin or a nephew or a daughter or somebody that doesn't care about this stuff, but they just want to make a half a million dollars, 
there's a lot of ways to do that now that weren't possible before. And like trade school is one of those ways. So like if you're debating like going to regular traditional education and getting a basic degree, like I can't understand who would advocate for that at this point. Yeah. My whole point with these kinds of things is like literally nobody listening cares. Nobody cares about plumbing or HVAC, which is interesting because those HVAC people, they don't care about this, you know? So there's like a big divide there. However, there is a big crossover with what the guys at the Remote Local podcast are doing. The Remote Local podcast says, and I want to get your opinion on this, that these local service firms can now, as of recently, be run successfully remotely. So you've got in the DC community, you've got a couple cleaning services, for example, that service Airbnbs. You have Squeegee God, who came on the podcast a few months ago to talk about his agency that does window cleaning, that does home cleaning. Like there was something that kind of broke that's like, hey, maybe it was listening to like Nick Huber was like, I believe a thought leader in this space with the sweatystartup.com came on this show back in the early days, basically saying, why are you going to compete with all the smart people out there and start a freaking uh, project management for developers tool? Why don't we start a cleaning service? Or why don't we start a moving service? For me, what we're talking about is the point is like, what's the easiest way to make a half a million dollars a year in 2023 via a lifestyle business? I'm going to vote for B2B service, something like remotefirstrecruiting.com. Sure. Yeah. And I agree with you, Dan. I think we've been in B2B basically since the early 2000s. Mm. And we've tried uh, B2C a couple of times and uh, haven't been as successful as we have been in B2B. And so unless you can like really narrow down your focus, and that's one of the beautiful things about B2B is like these people self-identify, they hang out in logical places, they organize together, they need and want to be sold to. I like that. We're, we're all standing around in DC, Mexico in April. Like this is very logical. You could Google me and it would say I'm here. And here's my email address and here's how you can contact me. It's nice. All of us B's just hanging out together. Well, the C's, they have all these handles, you know? C's are ridiculous. You can't trust a handle with a number in it and everything else, you know? I'm moving on. We got an email from listener Pavel. Pavel writes, sorry if it's boring, but I'm writing you again about the SOPs. Google search pulled up this old piece by your recent guest. Taylor Pearson. He has a great post, Taylor Pearson, called Hiring and Managing Employees at Scale. The examples that he gives in that post are from the business that we exited and wrote about in our amazing book, Before the Exit, which you should buy on Amazon or ask me for a free copy via my email address. He continues to write, looks like you moved away from SOPs after the sale of Two Tree International, which was that company. Any particular TMBA post or episode which details the approach of change. So he's like, bro, you guys have changed. Is Dynamite Jobs operating without SOP since launch? That's an indictment. Too few or total absence of complicated processes and team? Or is it smaller compared to TTI? Basically, Pavel's like, I thought you guys were operational nerds. Back in the day, you did full episodes about SOPs, man. You got a viral yep. blog post about hiring and managing employees via standard yep. strategic operating document. What the hell? You guys haven't brought up Notion in two years. What is going on? Okay, so a couple of things about SOPs. Yes, in our last business, we had a lot of them and they were well-documented. It was beautiful. Double rainbow beautiful. 
you could bring people into the organization in a very short time period, they could be up to speed. In fact, it was probably overbuilt for the amount of hiring that we were doing. But it was a fun process and it was like kind of where we got our uh, hands dirty in terms of building SOPs. You could point a C to the SOP and they would be an A. That was our goal and I think we achieved it. Now, the question is, at what point, I think, do you bring in SOPs and processes to your business? And so this is one of the great debates that we're having right now and one of the reasons why we spun up DC Scale and one of the reasons why there is a revenue requirement for joining DC Scale because there is a certain point in a business where this stuff starts to matter. And then, Mm. in my opinion, there's a certain point in the business where this does not matter. And all that matters is surviving, figuring out what product market fit is, marketing, mindset, all these things that come before SOPs. So I'm not ready, Dan, I don't think yet to make a declarative statement about like the exact revenue number, because I think we're going to find that out here in quarter one when we're talking to these companies that are joining us for DC Scale. But there is a number in which it makes sense to start thinking about this stuff. And then I think before that, there's a completely different kind of operating system for a business. Two things, Pavel. We had Matt Paulson, incredibly successful entrepreneur, on the pod last week. I asked him, yo, how come you're so successful and the rest of us are just, you know, screwing around with our businesses? And he said, yo, just focus on what makes you money. Just do that. Like, stop screwing around. So many of us have head trash. Like, oh, I don't want to do it. That's not what I envision my life to be. I want to have a media presence. Because Matt Paulson's saying, yo, doesn't make you money. The SOPs make you money? Then freaking make one. You know what I mean? That's kind of the idea. That's what Ian's saying. At a certain point, you're going to find yourself in a meeting with a bunch of people talking about things that you've already figured out. And this is why one of our, if you want to go deep dive into TMBA, we named one of our most famous episodes of all time, a weird title. It was called, If It Makes You Money, You Shouldn't Be Doing It. And that's what we, how we thought about SOPs. It's like, I'm not going to sit here and answer questions about things that make us money, guys. Like this is a process in this company for how we make money. Now go do it. That's when we build process. Now I want to share something about how to make more money. Something I'm interested in. Recently in Dynamite Jobs, it recently started to get to this point where we start to have to make process. And we were able to avoid it for some time in part by hiring high-level professionals. High-level professional is a complicated process that walks around. It's all in there. You got a professional, you don't need a process. But processes can be empowering in this way. We thought, wouldn't it be interesting if we sold part of our process? So what we did was we started to write it out. And I'm going to share it on this post if you click through your phone. It's called Our Five-Step Hiring Process. Now, a few months ago, I'd say, if you want to hire somebody, you want to do it at a high level, you want to have one of the best processes in the industry, you call us at remotefirstrecruiting.com. You're going to get a senior recruiter and we're going to find you a great team member. Problem is, is like that process is expensive. So now we start to break it down into a system and we say, well, what is that high-level professional actually doing? It turns out there's a lot of parts to this process. Five parts in this particular conception. And what we thought was, okay, well, remote first recruiting, we really saw all five steps. And now that we're visualizing a team, we're in a brainstorm. We say to ourselves, well, what if we just sold three steps? And it was kind of a breakthrough moment, Ian, because it was like having the process written out allowed us to be more flexible in our thinking and more creative. And so one of the old trope of structure leading to creativity. And so one of the things that's been taken off for us this month and something that's going to be a big focus for us in Q1 is something we're calling guided hire, which is the first 
three steps of our hiring process and not the fourth and fifth. And so, Pavel, the punchline is, is processes are asserting themselves in our business the past six months again. And we haven't done a lot of episodes on them. So I'm bringing it up because this was the big breakthrough moment. One of the big breakthrough moments coming directly from this concept of having strong processes. But here's uh, the point I want to make about process too in this context, which is if you don't have a repeatable process, there's hardly a reason to write it down. And so it gets to be the case that like, it just makes logical sense at some point to write it down. Mm. Like I'm doing the same thing every day to satisfy this customer, to make this dollar, like whatever it is, well then write it down and then Mm -hmm. see what it looks like and then be curious about it and then innovate or break it out like you did here into different products. Like, oh, I think there's an opportunity here. Everybody's been asking me about this $2,000 thing, but my thing is $5,000. What part of my process can I break down? So writing out our process really did help us, like you said, to kind of visualize what these different products are. But we couldn't even start to do that until we did the same thing every day for two years. And I think therein lies the the opportunity and the point, which is like, if you're not doing the same thing, then you can't write it down. All that's to say, foreshadowing, Pavel, if you don't like process, you might not want to tune into this podcast in 2023. Speaking of 2023... One of the most popular segments. I love this, Ian. People love to hear news updates. I just want to like go through our business portfolio here at the end of the episode really quick and what our main thrust we see. Q1, interrupt me if you want to say anything here. But I've got six things in our business portfolio. Number one, remotefirstrecruiting.com. The main thrust there is talking about this guided hire product. It's basically like hiring strategy and filtering around your next hire, but it's not full-blown recruiting. It's just guided hire. Number two, Dynamite Jobs. Our main focus there is SEO. We're actually going to have some pretty... I think we're going to have a lot of juicy SEO content in Q1. And our focus there is mid-market clients. It's kind of interesting. It's, it's a big departure there than the types of folks that listen to this podcast, not actually the customer segment over at Dynamite Jobs. Of course, a lot of listeners use Dynamite Jobs, but really the people that use job boards the most are mid-market companies, larger companies. The next property, Dynamite Circle. Of course, our private membership for listeners this pod, we are just going event scheduled to the max. We're going to have amazing events. we got a ski trip. we got a London event. We've got a Mexico City event. We've got a Bangkok event. We've got European events. It's going to be amazing. Dynamite Scale. You're going to hear a lot about this concept of pricing strategy, process, how to go from six to seven figures, how to go from seven to multi-seven, lots of that talk next year. Of course, Tropical MBA. This podcast will continue, except we're going to do it with a new logo, a new website, a new tagline, and new hosts, actually. We're just going to use chat GPT next year. <laughs> I was just hoping you were going to say good search in there, but maybe that's 2024. I've got it on my to-do list. And then what's next? I don't know. We're going to screw around and find out. That's it for this week, boss man. You got anything you want to add here at the end? That's it, man. That's the news. Them's the updates. We got to go jump on a level 10. If you know what that means, send me an email. That's it, boss man. Thanks for joining me. We'll see you next Thursday morning. See ya. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning. 
8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.